This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Good afternoon. Welcome to Vancouver Consumer. In just a few minutes, we'll meet the co-founder and executive director of Hyperlight Systems, a Vancouver company that works on the leading edge of design to create accessibility for everyone everywhere. It's all about transforming into the digital age, and this should be fascinating. In our second hour today, Angela Kalla, author of The Mortgage Code and host of CKNW's The Mortgage Show, will join us to help us keep up with the latest tweaks to the mortgage rules. But first, here are some of the top consumer stories we're following this week. Fiat Chrysler Automobiles said yesterday it is recalling more than 300,000 Dodge Dart compact cars across North America that could roll away because of a defective part that could allow the shift cable to detach from the transmission. This recall, by the way, includes over 20,000 Dodge Darts in Canada. Uh, The Italian automaker said the recall covers models, Darts models 2013 through 16 years, automatic transmission cars, and the defect could prevent drivers from shifting your car into park. Now, the company said it's not aware of any crashes or injuries related to the issue, but has several thousand reports of related repairs. The company said a cable bushing may degrade after prolonged exposure to high ambient heat and humidity. The company said owners should make sure you shut off your car and engage the parking brake. Fiat Chrysler will replace that transmission cable bushing free of charge, but didn't say when repairs will begin. In the meantime, if you own a Dodge Dart, use your parking brake every time. Vancouver is supposed to begin implementing a ban on styrofoam cups and containers along with plastic straws in a couple of months, but there appears to be a delay. Staff at City Hall are asking for a delay until the end of the year for cups and containers, and they want an even longer extension on straws. Ben will have lots more on this a little later on the hour. I'm looking forward to talking to Claire Newell about this on the weekend morning show tomorrow. According to Consumer Reports, the fallout from the worldwide grounding of of all 737 MAX aircraft is going to impact global travel this summer. So if you're planning a trip, get on it now. Here's a good example. Southwest Airlines, one of the better known North American carriers, one of the world's biggest users of these 737 MAX airplanes, say Southwest says it's going to cancel 160 flights a day through the peak summer months. American Airlines, 115 cancellations a day through August. No word yet from Air Canada or WestJet about their summer plans, but it's reasonable to expect similar issues. So thousands of seats simply won't be available. And neither will many discounts and other incentives to travelers this summer. So the ex- uh, the advice rather from the experts in the travel biz is get busy and book your flights while there are still seats and expect fewer seats at lower fares, too. One industry analyst put it this way, if you want a good airfare this summer, you're going to be have to be as flexible as Gumby.
The B.C. government has announced new regulations for the party bus industry just in time for grad season. Too effective a first of this month, operators will now be required to have a safety monitor on board when there are minors traveling in a party bus or limo. The operator will be responsible for ensuring that the safety monitor has obtained certifications that meet first aid training requirements, and in, that includes administering naloxone, rather, by the way. In addition, operators are also required to obtain consent forms from parents and guardians so they know children and teenagers are safe when getting onto a party bus. The government has also raised fines for all party buses and commercial vehicles that don't display decals proving they've passed a safety inspection. Hmm, sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Fines have been raised from $81 to $3. among the highest fines in Western Canada. The provincial government says this industry has been under-regulated for way too long, and it's time to catch up. Those are some of the top consumer stories we're watching this week. We'll look at a few more as the hour goes along. We'll take a quick break here, and when we come back, you'll meet the co-founder and executive director of, we love telling, Vancouver Entrepreneurial Success Stories, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy hearing all about Hyperlight Systems. Welcome back to the show on this beautiful Saturday afternoon of Easter weekend. I'm Sterling Fox. It's a pleasure to welcome to the airwaves of CKNW Ashish Sashdeva, who is the co-founder and executive director of Vancouver's own Hyperlight Systems. Ashish, welcome to Vancouver Consumer. Thank you. Thanks, darling. It's good to have you with us. Now, you are seven people strong, and you have developed a new system in tandem with TransLink that could have implications for transit systems all over the world. Yeah, we're really excited to um, have innovated this first-in-the-world solution here locally in Vancouver. Um, This all started two years ago, really, uh, when we saw a couple of people not being able to use public transit just because it was difficult for them to tap their compass cards. Mm -hmm. And that story was really personal to me because my dad had uh, disabilities and he had to lose his career because he couldn't use public transit after a point uh, in his condition. So I really wanted to solve this problem and and being close to So you come at this from a very personal angle then, don't you? Yeah, this is something which was uh, very personal to me, and I always believed Vancouver is uh, is setting a setting an example uh, in in being a leader in 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 developing an inclusive city. So when this problem came about, it was something that everyone was stumbled by and was like, "Oh, what do we do about it?" And uh, we were really uh, interested in solving the problem and really happy that we we have come up with the solution. Okay, so Hyperlight Systems is a Vancouver company that is very very digital. Right, yes. you're a very high tech operation, and the specific application we're going to talk about here it deals very much with what your dad dealt with for most of his life: accessibility, the ability of people with mobility issues yes. to still continue to circulate with the rest of us. Exactly. And so, what you've done now is because you talked about compass cards. I have a compass card in my pocket. I came down on SkyTrain this afternoon. I tapped, but as you point out quite accurately, not everyone can tap. Some people are physically incapable of it. So what's the solution? What have you come up with? It sounds pretty neat. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so the solution, you know, we we really designed the solution from a user perspective. Um, and in that, we, we mean that it needed to be seamless. So how this technology works is we uh, give people a small RFID card that looks very much like your compass card. Okay, now hang on. RFID. 
radio frequency identification. How am I doing? That's right. Yeah, that's okay. great. So it's a card that has the capability. It's like a tiny little transmitter. It has some kind of device and a chip in it that can be detected yeah. by a sensor. Exactly. Okay, carry and, on. And we just install these sensors uh, above the fare gates. So as someone approaches a fare gate at a SkyTrain station in Lower Mainland, uh, the sensor will know there is a person looking to enter the station right. and which side of the station. Is it like entering the station or exiting the station? So it's able to process all that information and open doors for our users, uh, all hands-free, without the tap, without the need of tap. Interesting stuff. Yeah. So now, um, would that apply also to uh, the C-Bus and other modes of uh, TransLink uh, uh, getting around Metro Vancouver, or is it exclusive to SkyTrain so far? It is exclusive to SkyTrain and C-Bus right now. Oh, C-Bus too. Okay, yeah, C-Bus great. Too. Exactly. Yeah. So it's all about the fair gates, yes. right? And and we typically are pretty conditioned now. We tap and bingo, the gate opens and proceed, it says on the little message screen. Yeah. So if you can't tap, you still need to get through the fair gate to aboard a train. So this sensor now, now do you have to have this RFID card, this little radio frequency card, do you have to have it like around your neck so it can be seen by the sensor? Or is it, is it, is, uh, can you keep it carried in your coat pocket? What's, what are the particulars there? Yeah. So um, right now, the technology, the way it works, it is line of what we call line of sight. Okay, uh, sure. The sensor does expect the car to be seen okay. uh, either in a lanyard or some people, as we've seen, some users will mount the card on their wheelchair itself. So it really becomes easy for them uh, to be able to go through these gates. Okay. And um, how does one... Now, suppose someone's listening to us for the first time, dealing with mobility issues and trying to tap and understanding that that's not possible. Now, this sounds interesting. So I'm going to get me one of those RFID cards. How do I go about that? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, the easiest way to get the card is if you go to Transing's website and search for Universal Fairgate Program. Okay. Uh, so Translink.ca. Transing.ca okay. and search Universal Fairgate Program. And there is a simple email that you send out and they'll enroll you for the card. Okay. Now, yeah. is it a paying proposition or do you just simply need to be recognized by the system and sort of become a member kind of thing? Yeah, it is. Uh, there is a uh, program um, that you need to apply for. And Transing will basically take your application form and reach out to you as quickly as they can. And typically, what would the turnaround time be, Ashish, on uh, one's the distance between one's application and being granted the card and welcomed into the system? I am not able to speak about that uh, because that part is managed strictly by Transing. Of course, it's their system, isn't it? <laughs> but I do know um, they they are committed in in making this available to users as quickly as possible. Okay, uh, so we're not talking months at no, all, it's maybe just days. About Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, you're also attempting to work on a solution similar to this for elevators. Tell us how it would work. Yeah. So, um, you know, when we started looking at the problem in in 2016, we we really, uh, the first thing we came across was Fairgates. But then we understood we need to map out things from a user perspective and really go back to understanding from the time someone leaves their home till the point they complete their journey, what are the physical barriers and friction points that exist in their journey? Right. Um, and elevators, building doors, um, they were all part of the um, friction points that exist today. So as a natural extension, we, we have now extended our technology to be applied to elevators, uh, building doors, and even buses 
uh, where we're really seeing this Star Trek future where um, moving around the city is going to be seamless and fast and, and hands-free. Now, is it uh, ideally, Ashish, would it be that the same card that gets you through the fare gate at the C-Bus terminal at Lonsdale Key is also going to work on the elevator when you get to downtown and your office building? That's the that's the that's the vision. That how do we create this experience so people don't have to carry multiple cards? Right. Uh, so uh, from a company perspective, we're we're, we're looking into um, integrated experiences. Interesting stuff. Now, how did TransLink get on board? Did you approach them again, given the understanding you have of the accessibility issue, or were they kind of casting around looking for some assistance in this regard? Yeah, and it was really. Uh, it was actually both of it. Oh, okay. uh, so uh, we we saw the uh, issue being aired on the on the news media, and we we came up with a design. And by the time we approached them, they they had internal team working on the same problem, okay, uh, looking for solutions. And it was just kind of like uh, right time, right place kind of a moment where we we partnered up with their uh, technical teams and and came up with a solution. And does that continue? Is that an ongoing relationship as you to uh, as you consolidate your resources to for this uh, single objective? Yeah, it was an ongoing, uh, you know, project that mm-hmm. that that happened over course of a year and a half, and uh, even today, after the success of our first uh, project, we're constantly, you know, engaged with TransLink, um, and we would we want to be uh, partners in innovation and really understanding how can we further improve customer experiences for yeah. everyone. So this, as I said at the very beginning, this. Invention, and I'm, I don't know if that's the proper term because in, in 20, 2019 uh, it could be called something else. But this idea, this design creation that you've come up with does have implications, Ashish, worldwide. Accessibility to public transit is a global concern. Have you had any nibbles from around the world, other transit systems? Because TransLink, of course, is in constant communication with other major metropolitan transit systems. It's what they do. So the word, is the word getting out? It's definitely getting out. Whatever we're doing here in Vancouver is being noted. Um, we have reached out to 20 different cities across North America. Good for you. And we know that the problem that we solved here in Vancouver also exists everywhere. And, you know, it was, uh, it was, it was surprising for us because a lot of times people just don't know there is a solution like this that exists. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we're definitely seeing strong interest from, from uh, around the globe. I, I'm curious, though, uh, just in terms of a cost to the, to the, the carrier, to TransLink, it, the developmental phase that you've been working on for the last two years, and now we're in the implementation phase, but the development, nothing happens for two years. You just pour money into things and, and hope it pans out properly. But now that it is, now that it's, you've got your sensors installed in SkyTrain stations and C-Bus terminals and so on, is the cost now becoming approachable for the, the, the trans, transit system itself? Because it's, it's a cost they have to absorb uh, willingly, of course. But nonetheless, is it expensive? Um, you know, the, the best thing about using RFID right now is RFID is not a new technology. It's existed for many, many years. But over time, what has really happened is the cost of technology itself has gone down and making it a feasible solution for other agencies to adopt. Ah. So it's uh, it's really, you know, the the cost of technology itself is coming down. Also, um, the uh, 
the user uh, experience is really what is the most important KPI for our uh, customers today because it's an investment. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an investment in making sure that their agencies are inclusive and everyone enjoys the uh, inclusive user experience. And that investment uh, you know, is, is uh, priceless. And, and I think that uh, being able to improve that customer experience and journey uh, is what people see this as. Let me quote from the website here, friends. The website, but interesting website, as you might expect from a company named Hyperlight Systems. And the web address is interesting in itself. It's hyperlight.systems. No .ca, no .com. It's hyperlight.systems. Quote, we believe that enhanced accessibility is vital to improving consumer experience. By integrating wireless technologies into access control systems, we have created hands-free access gates that operate seamlessly. How, for how many days or weeks now has this system been up and running in Vancouver? The system's been up and running. Uh, so we took a phased approach throughout this project because we wanted to restore the access for people who couldn't tap as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. So as soon as we were done 40% of stations, we invited our users to come use the technology just in that phase itself. And that allowed them to um, you know, get the access quicker, but also allowed us to get their feedback uh, early on. Mm-hmm. Um, so in as of October 31st, 2018, the system's available, uh, the technology's available system-wide. Interesting. Now we've talked about... Uh, uh, the, the, the SkyTrain system as it stands. Now we're talking also about a Broadway extension, and now we're talking about SkyTrain from King George in Surrey out to Langley Center, another 16 clicks of SkyTrain. Is it reasonable to assume, Ashish, that when these new stations get built, this integrated uh, gate system with the sensors, and it'll be part of the package from, from the get-go? Yeah, and that's kind of, you know, one of the uh, important lessons here is that uh, accessibility needs to be part of the design and not really a retrofit. So, yeah, that's what we see. And, uh, and of course, that would be the objective with TransLink, too, as they go forward with their plans, just to incorporate this new twist into the master plan. Yeah. Interesting. So um, uh, then it becomes, then the cost really just becomes another factor in the total tab. You're not adding on to existing infrastructure, you're just building it out, right? Exactly. So, okay. Um, What kind of feedback are you getting from people who have these cards so far? This is the most exciting part about the show for me because uh, our early users, they, some of them actually went up to Global News BC and, and the, the, the one word they used to describe the experience is magical. Okay. And hearing, you know, from 2016, how the reports were coming around to hearing today that how magical someone's journey is, is what drives us really uh, every morning. And, you know, that's the highest uh, success criteria and, and, you know, validation for all of us uh, behind this. Oh, technology. come on now. Magical is high praise. Yeah. Welcome back to the program on this gorgeous Easter weekend Saturday afternoon. I'm Sterling Fox, joined in studio by Ashish Sashdeva. Mr. Sashdeva is co-founder and executive director of a Vancouver company called Hyperlight Systems, very much involved with accessibility matters and designing systems for, and as, as is the case that we've been discussing, uh, for our very own TransLink uh, to provide greater accessibility for persons with disabilities, some of whom are 
physically simply incapable of tapping. And it seems like such a tiny thing, Ashish. But you went through it with your dad. He had a debilitating disease that eventually prohibited him from doing something as simple as tapping a card on a little plate. And he wasn't the only one. And you're talking about some of the feedback you've received from people who are benefiting from your program already. So very positive for you all the way through, right? Yeah, it's been a quite a uh, journey for us in, in, in being able to see the impact that we're able to uh, create locally here in Vancouver mm-hmm. uh, by using technology and my background's computer science. So I'm always passionate about using uh, technology in solving complex urban problems in a very meaningful way. So um, this is a great example for that. We did open up our phone line, 604-280-9898, and invited our listeners to jump in on the conversation. Nicholas in North Delta has chosen to do so. Hi, Nicholas. Thanks for waiting. Hello, young man. I hope we can get more young people like you, and I sure appreciate that you care about other people than yourself. You have a nice day, and thank you for having this radio well, it's a pleasure, Nicholas. Uh, thank you very much. It was just a very complimentary call to you, young sir, That because uh, 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 Ashish, I don't think, heard all of the call. He didn't have your headset on. It was just a very a very complimentary phone call, essentially saying, keep up the good work. We need more people just like you. Thank so there you go. Thank you. So let's talk smart cities. Because this is the other part of what Vancouver's Hyperlight Systems is all about. So, before we start talking too in-depth about smart cities, what do you mean by smart cities? That's an excellent question. And, you know, this keyword smart cities is so broadly used everywhere that um, there is no one definition to what that really means. But in principle, smart city is a city where we use technology in doing things in a very efficient way. And the result of that is improvement in quality of life for everyone in the city. How do we do things smarter and make our cities smarter so that we experience a better, more livable city? So to give you an example. Okay, I appreciate it. Um, let's talk waste management. Okay, sure. Right, that's an example. Big recycling we, push going on right across Metro Vancouver these days. Exactly. So, you know, this is a uh, this is another one of areas where everyone can relate to, where right now, um, sometimes when you're walking around the street or in downtown, um, the bins are overflowed. Yeah. Um, so, so what do we do about that, right? So, uh, but using technology today, what we can do is be smart about when these bins are picked up and having that information uh, in real time and being data-driven about it. So we can install a sensor on a bin. Ah, back to sensors again. <laughs> to eh? sensors again. Okay, well, good for you. So really just kind of like, you know, leveraging these technology solutions by in, by installing a sensor on the bin, we can get real-time information that this bin is now overfull. Right. So we don't need to wait for someone to, you know... Uh, call a number, and it's all real-time information. And, and, in, and in the case of a lot of uh, delivery systems for recycling and that sort of thing, you have a contract where you, every Wednesday at 3 a.m., mm-hmm. some big truck comes by and empties the bin behind the restaurant or wherever it happens to be. Exactly. And that's that's the way it works. But as you point out, quite accurately, a lot of those bins fill up before 3 a.m. every Wednesday. So why not get them emptied out instead of the back alley becoming an eyesore? Exactly. And, and the other example with the same problem will be when that pickup truck goes to pick up the uh, clear up the bin mm-hmm. 
Today, the legacy solution or, or traditional way of doing it is uh, the driver picks up a route that is predetermined. Yes. Yeah. Right. But um, we don't think that's the best route. We think that there is a better route, which is less congested or at a different hour and can result in less carbon emissions. So how do we collect all this information and, and do things smarter? So the idea would be that when a driver of one of these big pickup trucks, these big garbage pickup trucks comes on shift and his his beat, uh, his ter- territory is the North Shore. And you check in at the beginning of your shift and see what bins are the sensors are reporting need to be emptied and pronto. Exactly. That's how you begin your shift every day. Yeah. And then you go to the contract work. Exactly. So that's kind of like the idea behind smart cities is how do we do things in a more efficient way? And how do we use technology in improving the livability of everyone in a city? Okay. And um, what uh, – now, that was a good uh, – the recycling and, and all of that was a good example. Um, tell us about uh, other cities that have come up with solutions that you're talking about that you admire and would like to replicate in some way here in Vancouver. There are – so that's one of uh, the uh, – Good things that I have learned in the last uh, few years uh, by my travels where uh, let's talk Singapore as an example. Okay, uh, Singapore has done things very differently where they've been really uh, adopting technology in solving their complex problems. And uh, waste management was definitely one of them where, where they've been ahead in, in creating efficiencies on how quickly their, uh, their cities are, the bins are picked up. Mm-hmm. And also, how how do they staff for for this thing, right? So that's definitely one of them. Um, the other one was parking solutions in in Singapore. So uh, and, and, and this is a city here in Vancouver in which parking solutions are a daily <laughs> issue because there's there just not aren't enough of them, are there? Exactly. So, so what's Singapore doing? So Singapore is uh, you know their goal is how do you move these cars uh, quickly and and. Resolve, resolve the congestion and, and you know um, the parking situation in different places. So by doing something as simple as uh, you know today in Vancouver, when you have to par- pay for a park, uh, sorry, park park your car and pay for it, mm-hmm. you have to go and manually um, you know uh, pay at the parking meter. Or now there is an app which is the smarter way of doing things. Sure, so that's yes. another example of how cities evolved to doing things smarter, where you know you can just. Uh, pay on your app. So Singapore's taken that experience one step beyond and made that hands-free. So every car has a chip. So as you go through different parking sensors, it's all um, automated. And it, the, the sensor in the parking areas will automatically detect that you are this car and everything will go to your credit card uh, and all that. You don't even need to wait, wait to pay that transaction. Ah, it, it's because of the chip. It, it recognizes you coming in yeah. and then uh, picks up on your exit, does the tabulation exactly. for time spent and yeah. applies the, the, the tab to your credit card. Yeah. So that really saves everyone a lot of time. Uh, it's definitely happened with me where I spend a lot of time with the slow-moving parking meters, mm. and, and this was a an obvious uh, efficiency and, and user experience for me that, that really excited me. 
And and I would think that uh, as as and I'm looking at your website again, friends. A very interesting website, hyperlight.systems. And you talk about uh, you you have a, a, a corporate consulting uh, firm essentially uh, focusing on a lot of, of work with TransLink lately. But you have other clients and do things like requirements gathering, planning, design, implementation, oversight. That's the phase you're in with TransLink right now. Project management, quality assurance. So clearly there is a as a, there's a plan, there's a company plan. Here's how we can help other companies get smart. Yeah, so we uh, what we've done successfully at Hyperlight is we've created a methodology. And this methodology is has allowed us to 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 innovate and implement these innovations uh, within a city scale. And you know, when you develop a technology for a city, it's uh, it, it's a lot different than developing a technology for um, our, our, our consumers uh, because of the challenges that exist uh, when you do things citywide. So this methodology has really helped us to you know, create a framework uh, for success. All right. Interesting. Now that you're talking about a framework for success. Now, I love asking this part of the question when I have the opportunity to speak to a local entrepreneur. Are you a publicly traded company yet? And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and because you've got a lot going for you, a lot of people, I'm sure, are interested in what you're up to. What's the status there? So we are uh, still a privately held company. Okay. We are growing pretty fast. Uh, right now, we are uh, also working with some investors. And the goal is to be in a growth period for the next couple of years and increase the impact that our technologies are making and take them to beyond Vancouver. So early next year, uh, we, we're currently doing some pilots uh, in Southeast Asia. And early next year, we will we'll see like another implementation uh, much larger than what we did here in Vancouver. But a similar type of application where uh, people with accessibility and mobility issues can be assisted by their local transportation companies. Exactly. Interesting stuff. And I I talked about that earlier, and I said it right at the beginning of our our conversation, that the success you're currently enjoying with TransLink should translate into an equal degree of success in any city you take this stuff to. Yeah, and you know, I also look at this uh, project in a very interesting lens where um, Canada at a global stage needs to diversify its economy and revenues from, you know, non, uh, instead of like natural resources only being the prime industry. Right. Um, technology innovation is a great uh, area where Canada needs to, you know, uh, focus on. And this is a great example of where we locally incubated a technology, uh, created a local impact that rest of the world can now benefit from. What is government saying about what you're up to? Because TransLink is technically a, a crown corporation at arm's length officially from government, but they are uh, an arm of government. And again, they talk to each other. All of these huge municipal transit companies are constantly in communication with each other and their political masters. What are you hearing by way of reaction from government? We've only heard great things from everyone across the province. And in fact, uh, we're closely working with the uh, one arm in government that's called the trade commissioners. And okay. these trade commissioners are located uh, globally in different in, in, in critical uh, city centers across the world. So they have they have really helped us, you know, um, showcase what we're doing locally in those parts of the world and, and help us connect to the uh, right agencies in, in those parts of the world. And you talk about your demanding travel schedule. 
schedule. So I assume you spend a lot of time on airplanes and shaking hands with people who could benefit from the technology and the innovation that you can supply. Yeah, and that's really, you know, what we are uh, excited about as a company is we have an internal KPI on how many users... What's KPI? Key performance indicator. Okay. All you right. know, uh, a lot of companies have this key performance indicators in terms of sales, in terms of revenues. Sure. Uh, yeah. our, our, our key performance, one of our key performance indicators is the um, number of uh, lives that we can impact and number of cities that we can be in. And again, going back to, and this all boils down to the impact on individuals, on human beings who otherwise may not be able to participate as well as they now can. You are changing lives, aren't you? Yeah, this, I would say, uh, you know, what we're doing is so much more uh, than, you know, what what I have done because uh, the users are now able to go to school. They're now able to meet their friends. And, and you know, that's a big part about uh, what Hyperlight is for and, and wants to be. Uh, you talk on the website about something called M2M slash Internet of Things. What's that about? So that's a that's a that's a great question. M two M is uh, is a very old um, term. It's it basically stands for machine to machine, right? And Internet of Things is uh, another you know recent buzzword uh, that's come across in the last few years. Uh, what it really is, uh, you know, like how sensors for everything has been existed for many years. So mm-hmm. sensors itself, they're not new. Right. What's uh, what's new today is that these sensors can connect can uh, to each other over internet. Aha. Uh-huh. And that allows us to be able to take advantage of this connectivity and build systems that can create automation. Interesting stuff. Now, if people are listening to us right now and enjoying the conversation, and also, because one of my colleagues uh, down the hall here was talking to Ashish before we came on the air, asking about, well, how can I get involved here? Because, you know, it sounds like a company on the way up, and I agreed with them. So uh, how do we learn more about what you're up to? Is Hyperlight Systems' website a great place to start and, and, and pursue it from there? Exactly. Our website is a great place to start. And we, one thing, you know, I always, as a as an entrepreneur, I I've learned uh, to ask the community for their support. So one way that where where we could really, uh, you know, what the help that we can get from the community here is if you have an accessibility idea, if you have an accessibility issue or challenge, please, you know, say, speak it up. Because a lot of times, you know, uh, like we heard about this challenge when someone started speaking about it. Mm-hmm. So when people speak up, uh, you know, things sometimes do get noted and, and it allows for uh, solutions like this to exist. And is there a, a point on the website, uh, on the contact page perhaps, where you can say, you know, I've got an idea. You know, I'm a person with, you know, some mobility issues and I've, I've thought about this. I'd like, to, I'd like to share it with you. You get those kinds of things from time to time? Yeah, we definitely uh, have got a couple of instances where people have reached out in sharing their accessibility challenges. And we love hearing more about that because it allows us to really understand the problem we're solving from a user perspective. Hyperlight, one word, hyperlight.systems. That's the web address. Check it out. Fascinating stuff. 
A wonderful story from a great little Vancouver company, definitely on the way up. Ashish Sashdeva, thanks for coming in. A pleasure to meet you. We wish you continued success and come back and tell us when that international project, the next big one in Southeast Asia, takes off and we'll, we'll have another gathering at that point. And once again, our thanks to Ashish Sashdeva, co-founder and executive director of Vancouver's Hyperlight Systems for a very interesting visit. We love to tell the stories of local entrepreneurs on this show and that was fun. Up next, after the news, Angela Calla, author of The Mortgage Code. Time now for Duly Noted, and this time around, our producer Ben Dooley has a look at an update on the Vancouver plastics ban. Thanks, Sterling. Environmentally conscious diners in Vancouver may have to wait until next year before seeing a total ban on plastic straws and styrofoam containers. A new report from city staff recommends council wait until the first day of 2020 to impose the ban on foam takeout containers and cups while delaying the outlying of plastic straws even longer to next April. The report, which is due to be presented to council on Wednesday, says the request for the delays is being made in order to give businesses more time to adapt and find convenient, affordable, and accessible alternatives, the city said on Thursday. Here's Senior Project Manager Monica Kosmak. We are currently conducting a consultation with businesses and nonprofits who'd be affected by the bylaws. We've heard that there are some, there may be some cost increases, for example, to switch away from foam or to find alternatives to straws. But we've also learned that uh, Vancouverites many support uh, paying a slight increase in uh, a recyclable or compost. The foam container ban will come with a one-year exemption for charitable food providers. The city said. Staff is planning to announce more details about the bylaw in November, including action on reducing plastic shopping bags and single-use utensils, as well as general education campaigns for the public and business community. I'm Ben Dooley, and that's Dooley Noted. Thanks, Ben. Time for a couple more consumer quickies before the news. AppJobs, a European-based platform that helps job seekers find work through app-based companies, conducted a global report for the world's best cities to be a student. The report looked at a number of key factors that influence a student's experience, from the number of part-time jobs available, the average cost of rent, the frequency of concerts and shows, the number of schools, and, of course, the average cost of a pint. App jobs weighted each city out of a possible score of 100, splitting each of their key factors into its own category. Globally, Vancouver ranks as the 20th best student city in the world and third in North America. Other Canadian representatives on the list are Toronto, which is 13th, and Montreal sitting at 5th. What hurt in the Canadian rankings, especially here, is our high cost of rent in Vancouver compared to even Toronto and Montreal. Prague and the Czech Republic took home the top spot in the world for student cities ahead of Moscow, Berlin, and Beijing, and then Montreal in fifth place. The top U.S. city was New York in 18th position, a couple of spots ahead of Vancouver. And the big uh, summer forecast has been released by Environment Canada for our little corner of the country. It's looking pretty good, too. Not much hope for fewer April showers. But after that, we're in for a warmer spring and summer, partly due to a weak El Nino system. Not sticking their necks out too far on how much rain to expect through the summer just yet. But the weather folks are comfortable with warmer temperatures all summer long. Oh, and Kitt's Pool will open four weeks from today. 
Saturday, May 18th. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.